Welcome to the Professional Writer Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Christensen, and I'm here to help you confidently plan, launch, and grow your writing-related business without getting hung up with the techie stuff. You'll find the show notes at bloggingbistro.com. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming a guest onto the show. Her name is Brittany Gardner. Hi, Brittany. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Now, Brittany and I got introduced to each other, virtually speaking, in a private discussion group for female entrepreneurs that we're both members of. And we discovered that we each have podcasts. We also discovered that we are both brand strategists. You know, sometimes people think, um, and I'm talking here to those of us that are in writing-related industries, sometimes you think, well, I, I can't have another person who works in the exact same area as me on my podcast because she's the competition, and it would be like sending my clients to you. I happen to be of the mindset, and you can tell me where you're coming from, Brittany, since you did agree to come on the podcast, I like community over competition. Well, I know that there are, are literally thousands of people that do what you and I do, but I think that there is plenty of room in the market for good brand strategists. Now, would you agree or disagree with that point? I 100% disagree with the idea that the competition means you can't share platforms of meeting people. And what I mean by that is, you know, again, you already said I have a podcast as well. And I will tell you, some of my favorite guests have been people who are if not of the title brand strategist, they work very closely in that arena. And I learned so much from other people. Why would I not want to share that with my audience? So community over competition, absolutely. But also, I am of the firm belief that just because somebody is looking for brand strategy, it does not mean that they are my kind of client. I have a very specific way of working. I have a personality. And you also have a personality and you also have your process and your methods. And those might not be a good match for person A, but they're a fantastic match for person B. So me having the same audience as someone, I look at that as a way that we can serve people better. Totally agree with that, Brittany. Listeners, you are going to get two for the price of one today. <laughs> Oh, I like that. <laughs> Brittany and I really are on the same page when it comes to brand strategy. And really, when you think about it, there's only so many different ways you can go about teaching brand strategy. When you get down to the basic core foundational principles, there are some things that everybody needs to do. And Brittany and I teach those same things. And so you're going to hear that emphasized and then reemphasized during our conversation today, because we're going to be talking about building business intentionally, or what you call, Brittany, intentional business. Let's just define that term up front. What do you mean by intentional business? That term came about because I realized that I started my business off quite unintentionally. And I think that's fine. You know, a lot of us start off a venture, a project, and it kind of morphs into a business through demand. Other people kind of start off by default. Someone asks them to help with something and they're like, hey, I can make money at this and I really like it. Why not? All of those are kind of unintentional ways of starting a business. And then you add on to it that a lot of people start in a bootstrapping or scrappy kind of way. You know, you're, you're self-funding and maybe you aren't a trust fund baby like most of us, right? It means that you're going to be starting and you're going to be kind of piecemealing things. And as you get a little bit more funds from working, you might attack this area of your business and then you might work on this area and up level over here. 
but it's not all done at one time. It's not not all done in a strategic way. So if you're going to start scrappy, I applaud you. I think wonderful businesses are born out of those methods. But it also means that you're going to have to kind of go back to basics. I like how you said earlier, we all kind of teach the same core foundational things and we might have slightly different ways of talking about them. But these are the things every business owner has to address and very few can do it without intentional thought. Most people need to sit down, look into a few things, map out a few things, and then put it into practice. And that's what creating an intentional business is. It's saying, okay, I'm leaving behind my scrappy stage and I'm going to get intentional about growing this business. I love that, Brittany. Thank you so much for that definition. And I know that a lot of writers are slightly haphazard as we're starting our business. And like you said, that can be okay at first because it's better to just get up and running and to be doing something than to sit around going, oh, I don't know if I can do this or just letting fear grab a hold of you and preventing you from even starting. And that's what this podcast is all about, really. It is helping you to go back and maybe you've been doing things somewhat unintentionally, or as as you said, in kind of a scrappy way. But now you're ready to go back and put those pieces into place to begin building a strategy and to carrying out that strategy. And you can still totally have fun with it. But putting a strategy in place is going to set you light years ahead of where you would have been without a strategy. I wanted to just kind of go back and help our listeners get to know you a little bit more. I was looking at your website and I was looking over your about page because those are the two pages that I always look at first when I'm investigating or cyber stalking <laughs> a potential podcast guest is the home page of the website and their about page because I want to get to know them and I want to see how they present themselves. And I absolutely love what you said in your introduction of yourself on on your about page of your website. And this relates directly to what we're going to be talking about the rest of this episode. So I want to read what you have written there. And you said, you know, when you hear a certain song and you think your breath and your soul is aligned with those lyrics, they feel you and you feel them and how your heart is bursting a little. That's me when I see you. If my photos and words make you feel something, we should work together. Oh, I love that, Brittany. It's, Thank you. it's short, it's punchy, it just grabs my heart. Did that come out of you in like two seconds or less? Or did you really slave over that for a long time? <laughs> or somewhere um, in between? That would be a labor of love right there. <laughs> <laughs> a little backstory. I'm not a musical person. I did not grow up listening to music. I grew up in an extremely conservative household. We were not allowed to listen to the radio. I, you know, emerged into the adult world and I was basically missing 15 to 20 years of pop culture references. The music I listen to today is is very defined. A lot of it's my husband's music, which honestly is a lot of his parents' music. Despite the fact that we couldn't listen to popular music when I was growing up, we listened to a lot of my parents' popular music from their era. And then I have some weird eclectic tastes. So <laughs> anyway, all that to say, I often will know all the lyrics of a song, but not be able to tell you the title of the song or who sang it. And the reason for that is I was just everything all at once. Like I, I had no knowledge and then all of the exposure. And I just took the parts that mattered to me. And often that was, you know, the lyrics and not always just the lyrics, the music that accompanied them, of course, increases that feeling. But to me, it became a really great metaphor of connection. If a 
set of lyrics was enough to make me feel something, then it was worth my time to find out who actually sang them. I think that's a great kind of analogy for a lot of things in life. You know, we don't have to know everything about everything. We can know a little bit about a lot of things, or we can know Mm -hmm. a ton about one thing in terms of building a business, building a brand to support that business and becoming known for the work that you want to become known for. I love that that kind of metaphor. So that's kind of where that came from. My husband likes to make fun of me. I have no rhythm and I'm a bit tone deaf and I make a lot of music references all the same. And that's okay. Now, having said that, can you think of a a particular artist or a particular song whose lyrics really resonate with you? Maybe you won't be able to remember the name of the artist. You can sing the lyrics though, right? You do not want me singing here. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. One of my favorite songs in recent-ish times, I guess we could say, is um, I Lived by One Republic because we're all going through life, right? We're all going through life. We have great times. We have not so great times. We have those times where we're like, why is this happening? But I would love to, at the end of my life, say I lived intentionally through it all. You know, there that word intention comes back again. That was not intentional right now, I should say. <laughs> it's kind of slipped out. But um, I, I love the message behind behind that. A few other things about you. You are a podcaster and you have a podcast. I love the name of your podcast, The No Like and Trust Show. Mm-hmm. So perfect. I'm always talking about the no like and trust factor. And you're a designer turned photographer turned brand strategist. How did that happen? Short version of the story. <laughs> um, I was taking school classes for graphic design and related type things. And then I randomly became a wedding photographer by chance, completely unintentionally. And I actually ran a wedding and portrait photography business for over a decade. That was my entire income. I also concurrently ran a album design business for other wedding photographers because just because you have an eye for photography does not mean you have an eye for design and a lot of people needed help. So I did that. Once I decided to start a family, I had very different life priorities. So I left that behind. And given my photography background, it just was easy to transition into brand photography only within months of that transition. I realized while people did need photos, they often did not understand what they actually needed with photos. They needed the strategy to make those photos be a part of their business that actually did heavy lifting. And by that, what I mean is you can have a pretty picture, especially for women out there. I think having a beautiful photo of you is really incredibly important. But if that photo isn't doing anything for your business, if it's not helping you gain clients, if it's not attracting the right clients into your business, then it's not a brand photo. It's just a portrait. Again, I will reiterate, there is nothing wrong with having a great portrait of yourself. But if you're going to pay money for brand photos, you need to make sure that they are strategically aimed to filter away people who are not the best fit for your business and bring in people who are the best fit for your business. And if you can do that, you are going to be light years ahead of anyone else who offers the same services as you. Even if you have the same schooling, even if you have the same certifications, the same work background, all of that, because as one part of your brand application, your brand photos absolutely have a job to do. And if they are not doing their job, then they're just taking up space on your website. 
So when you say brand photos, can you tell us a little bit about what specifically you mean there? Are you talking about a headshot of the individual, say it's a personal brand, like a writer brand, Mm -hmm. or would it encompass a variety of different types of shots? I personally think it encompasses a variety. If you only have one photo available on the web and it's more of a headshot Mm -hmm. variety, I think that's okay. I would prefer it to have some personality. I am not a fan of the, you know, author headshots from the 80s and 90s, for example. (laughs) Uh, It it just, you know, like I I would compare them to realtor websites or realtor, you know, photos. If, If I can't tell you are different from someone else by looking at your picture, then it's it's just a picture. It's not doing anything for your business. So even if all you're using is a headshot style photo, I would love to see it tell me something about you. Are you um, a warm, nurturing, welcoming writer? If you're more on the copy or editing side, are you going to be like the I tell you how it is kind of person, you know, with some some sass? Or are you going to be the, here, let me take your hand and teach you why mm-hmm. this is not the right way to do it? And, and those are very different attitudes and very different styles of working. Yeah. And I should be able to get an idea, at least, of which area you're leaning into by looking at your pictures. Are you still doing brand photography? I do. Uh, I would say it's about 20% of my business and the strategy side's more about 80% these days. I, I've definitely made a shift in the last few years. People were interested perhaps in hiring you to do a photo shoot. You live in the Portland, Oregon area. I do. And yes. Do you do like on location in your yeah. area? Yep. I do on location within a few hours of my home. For those of you that are listening who might be just a tad bit geographically challenged when it comes yes. to the United States. And I know if you show me the East Coast of the United States, I'm like, oh, I'm not quite sure which state goes where. Brittany and I both live on the West Coast of the United States. I live in Washington State in the Seattle, Washington area, which is just about a three, three and a half hour drive north of Portland, Oregon. And mm-hmm. that's where Brittany lives. So you start in British Columbia, Canada on the West Coast, and then you have Washington. And then right below Washington is Oregon. And right below Oregon is California. And below that is Mexico. So there you have it. There is a quick West Coast geography lesson for yeah, you. <laughs> much shorter than the East Coast lesson we would have had to partake in here. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy. Only three states to remember. We're talking about intentional business. And I loved what you said earlier, where you were talking about your brand not only attracts the people who are going to be the absolute best fit for you, but it also filters away people who aren't going to be the best fit. And when you are doing teaching and and brand strategizing, you often use the term finding your best client. So let's spend the rest of the episode talking about your best client. And there are different ways of referring to your best client. I will oftentimes call it your ideal target audience because in writing related businesses, not all authors work directly with clients. Sometimes the client might be a publishing house or they're doing independent publishing. And so they kind of are the client, the the author themselves is the client. What are some of the, the ways that you go about helping people to identify who their best client is? All right. So there's two ways I would go about this. And it kind of depends on what stage of your business that you are in as to which method I would choose. So if you are very, very new in your business and you haven't worked with a wide variety of people yet, 
Or if you're really only intending to have one, maybe two clients, this is the method that I would use. I would map out the kinds of problems your services or product help people fix. So if you are, for example, writing fiction, you know, this is more of uh, an inspirational or, you know, escape kind of role that the book is going to play. If you are doing something more on the, you know, service provider side where you're helping, your writing is helping other people sell their products, there are very different goals, right? You know, they have sales goals that are going to be attached. They have metrics that are going to need to do that. So all of these things are going to have different kinds of audiences. But if you are in the newer phase or, or you're not intending to have a lot of clients, for example, I always lean towards just mapping out three problems and or solutions, depending on what kind of market you're looking at, and then figuring out the person you personally can most easily help in that method. So way back at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about competition and how you know, there's a lot of brand strategists. And I'm not really all that concerned about that because I can, with my unique personality, my core values, my background, skills, talents, strengths, all of those things have a very different best client than you, Laura, because mm -hmm. maybe I know that we don't have the exact same background, but let's just assume we did. We probably still have different core values. We probably still have a different personality. Um, I have a, a few different methods and processes that I work using in my business, and you probably have a few in yours. And while they have very similar core foundational things, it's the way we employ them that sets our businesses apart. So with all of that information, you know, you are you, and then there's you, who, like what you stand for in the marketplace. And those things combine into a really unique set of information that means the way you help someone through a problem or to acquire a solution is going to be different than the next person. So that's, that's the way we would do it with that. Now, if someone's been in business for a little while, they've got a variety of clients and specifically they can without having to think too hard, uh, recall a few clients they loved working with and then a few clients who maybe they didn't love working with. And I would like to caution people to call them the, the nightmare clients. That's not what I'm talking about. Those are people who never should have hired you in the first place. I'm talking about the clients who, for all intents and purposes, they should have been clients, but your experience with them wasn't very enjoyable. I like mapping out why it wasn't enjoyable mm -hmm. and then contrasting it with why other people's experiences were enjoyable. Because realistically, every business, everyone providing a service, everyone selling a product, we've all had situations where, you know, let's say you have 20 clients a year, you have one or two clients who were amazing and you're like, oh my goodness, working with you was magical and I loved it. I felt so much passion. The inspiration flowed. And if I could just wave a magic wand and make a zillion of you out there, everything in my life would be peachy. And then there's a lot of other clients who are lovely people and you enjoyed working with them and it more or less went smoothly and that's good. And then there are those clients where it's like every time you see their name in your email inbox, you're like, mm, what's it going to be now? Those are the clients I'm talking about. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not bad people. They're just for you. You kind of feel the blood pressure rising. Yeah. You their, <laughs> your inbox. So if, you've, if you're in that state where you can definitely, as I'm giving you these lovely descriptions, you can already start naming <laughs> people, uh, then you can use this other methodology where mm -hmm. I 
lay out three clients I've loved working with, three clients I have not loved working with. And I look at the differences between those three. And usually you can kind of come to a type of client who, you know, has a certain mindset. To me, it's almost always about mindset, not so much about demographics. A hundred percent. Yeah. I've worked with 28 year olds who are fantastic. And I've worked with 28 year olds who are not. And I've worked with 65 year olds who are fantastic. And obviously 65 year olds who are not. So I think it's far more to do with mindset than demographics. Um, sometimes demographics will play a, a role in it, depending on what kind of market you serve. But using that methodology will always get you the right mindset. And then you've got your best client mapped out. Your best client could conceivably be a variety of ages, genders, life situations, goals. But what matters there is that they're the people who you would most enjoy serving. The skills that you have to offer them and what they need are a great fit. Mm -hmm. And then most importantly, that mindset. What is it about the two of you that just really clicks that helps you both to feel such delight as you're working together? And then even when the project is completed, you're like, I love that experience. I would go back and do that again. I would pay for that again. Yeah. So I've likened it in the past. I've I've accidentally started quoting this movie without realizing it. So, you know, Liam Neeson did that that movie a while back, Taken. And it was like, you know, his daughter was kidnapped and he was like super spy CIA guy or whatever. And he gets on the phone with the kidnappers and he's like, I have a particular set of skills and I will hunt you down. But if you can imagine that that quote in a positive light, <laughs> um, that's kind of what we're talking about with your best client. You have a particular way of working through whatever their pain point or desire is that gets them that particular set of results that they are looking for. And when that match comes together from both a needs and mind kind of perspective, that's where the magic happens. Some of my listeners might be wondering, okay, well, that that all sounds great. That sounds wonderful. But how do you go about finding this person? Let's say you're just a brand new person in business and you don't have a client base yet. You don't have an email list yet. You're not really super active on social media and you don't have much of a following there yet. That's really the case for a lot of the people that I work with. But where do we start? How do we go about finding our best client? Let's say that you're not particularly prolific on social media, so you can't just like ask your followers. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't mean you can't go join a Facebook group that has potentially a lot of clients for you. Now, I'm not asking you to go into the Facebook group and be like, hi, come be my Mm -hmm. client. You look great. There's a way to use a Facebook group. And uh, I would love if you could also offer value at the same time. But if you're really needing some quick info, My favorite thing to do is to go through a Facebook group, find people talking about whatever your service or product is. You can use the search bar to type in a few different keywords, find a couple threads where people have already done that. Comb through the comments, find somebody you disagree with. Now, don't go all combative. Don't go calling them out. That's not what I'm saying. But look at what it is you don't agree with. The whole world is not your target market. Whether you want to call it your ideal client, your ideal audience, or me like your best client, the whole world is not your best client. You have to narrow it down. I like telling people all the time, if you're speaking to everybody, you're speaking to nobody. Now, that's a fairly common phrase to hear in our field here as brand strategists. So I punch it up a little bit by saying a watered down message is boring and will turn people away from you. Or I could also see myself saying something even a little bit more snarky than that. 
you are turning away clients if you're not willing to take a stand. That's reasonably controversial. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. So however you want to apply a statement like that to your own niche, to your own way of thinking, go in a Facebook group, throw it out there as a statement, create your own post. Don't go comment on someone else's and and usurp their, their time, you know, but create your own post with a bold statement of some kind and then see who responds. Make sure you ask a question, see that you gather engagement from it. And then when you get people either agreeing with you or disagreeing with you, go ahead and message them and be like, Hey, I love the comment that you made on, on my post. Would you mind popping on for 15 minutes and we can have a little chat? You're not prospecting them. You're not trying to gain them as a client. You are absolutely using this as a way to do a little bit of light market research. Mm-hmm. And then have a list of questions and don't fire them at people. But, you know, Have a conversation. Find out what drives them. Find out what really worries them. Find out why they felt compelled to comment on your post. And that'll give you a lot of insight into what people are looking for in and around your product or service and give you more of a foundation on which to build your best client profile. Going right along with that, Brittany, one of the things that I do when I'm in different topical Facebook groups is I try to be a resource for people in the group, kind of Mm -hmm. like what you're saying, or you're talking more in terms of bringing up something slightly controversial. For example, in my line of work where I am a website developer, I will often see posts in Facebook groups from people who are like, I'm starting a business. I know I need a website. Should I go with Wix, Weebly, Squarespace, WordPress.com or WordPress.org? Well, I happen to know a lot about all of those things because I've been in this particular business for a decade and a half. And so I can chime in with some knowledgeable information that's just helpful to them that kind of helps them to discern. And mainly I'm just asking questions like, which direction are you headed? Are you doing your business more as a hobby? Are you planning on selling something? Do you need to have a store set up on your website? And their answers to those questions help me to know how I could maybe best direct them in the next step to take as they're researching what type of website would work best for them. Do you do that sort of thing as well when you're in groups? Yeah, absolutely. Helping people who you can reach out to and give some a little sage advice to. Yeah. You know, I I like to follow the rule of three. I'm not going to say I'm perfect at following it, but for every ask I have of a group, I try and give three times the value. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that means three comments before I go and ask something of people in that group. Maybe it means me offering advice that has nothing to do with me to three people just because I can and I have a few minutes on a random day before an appointment. Instead of me checking my email, I can pop into a Facebook group and see how I can help three people. And then, you know, next time I need something, whether it's light market research like that, or whether it's, hey, go look at this podcast episode, you know, I don't feel bad about just going and taking and taking. So there's so many ways that you can do this, but especially for someone who hasn't spent a lot of time on Facebook and groups on social media as a whole, you've got to start somewhere. And I find when I give people a direct task to do, they're more likely to spend some time doing it. So oh, definitely. Yeah. And the other great thing about doing market research like this, say in a Facebook group, is that you find out the sorts of questions that people are asking. Mm-hmm. When you then prepare your own brand messaging for the types of products and services and programs that you're going to be offering, you can echo back to your perfect client 
those words, those same words that they are using when they are asking the questions, because then they go, she gets me. It's like she pulled those words right out, right of, out my of my head. head. She yep. knew exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. And I think she might have the solution that I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm a big fan of of keeping what I call your own personal swipe file. This is not you mm-hmm. copying and pasting someone else's post. This is you looking at the things people are talking about in and around your area of expertise, looking at the questions specifically, and looking at any concerns that people have. A lot of my clients for a time were saying things like, I know I could kill it if I could just be seen. Or, you know, I feel like I'm the the internet's best kept secret. And I used that verbiage in my marketing Mm -hmm. for a fair amount of time because if people felt like they were the best kept secret and all they needed was to be seen, then I needed to show them I was the one that could help them be seen and no longer be the secret, just the internet's best kept resource. So when you echo things like that out based on your research, you're going to see an explosion in visibility and brand awareness, but also your clients are going to come to you with so much more ease. You know, instead of someone, you know, hopping on a sales call or or joining a book club and being like, well, you got to kind of convince me to be here. You're going to have people being like, I love what you're saying. I got an email just the other day by a new email subscriber on my list. Uh, she bought one of my very low, low price products about a month ago. I knew she was, you know, on there, but she sent a reply to one of my you know, emails that I sent out to my list. And it was something like, Brittany, you already know that I'm obsessed with you. And I was like, ah, I didn't actually, I didn't know that you were obsessed with me, but now I do. And I know what, <laughs> I know which email she replied to, to draw that response. So now I can file that away in my head or in, in my case, I actually have a dedicated swipe file for these kinds of things. And I can keep in mind, if I want to attract someone like that person, mm-hmm. this is the kind of messaging that gets me there. All of that plays together, but it all stems from knowing who your best client is or knowing who your ideal audience is in the first place so you can get more of those responses. And then once you know who that best client is and you know that person really well, it makes your other marketing decisions and your branding in general a little bit easier. What happens in your case, and this is a, a problem or a, a, a worry that a lot mm-hmm. of writers have, is they're building their email list and they're trying really hard and they get a few signups here and there, not usually a whole steady stream of people coming in. And then somebody unsubscribes from their list and they freak out. They're like, oh my gosh, somebody unsubscribed today. What do I do? How do you deal with situations like that? I view unsubscribes as a gift personally. If I ever have a client that's upset about something like that, I remind them that that person felt compelled enough to unsubscribe, but not so angry that they marked you as spam. So I call that a win, (laughs) you know? Um, Yes. All right. If you guys haven't noticed, I'm I'm okay with being a little bit controversial. So, uh, and I do, I email my, my list more than once a week. And I do that because I don't want people who aren't committed on my list. So I get a lot of unsubscribes and I'm okay with that. If they don't want to hear really good information. I'm not sending like a newsletter a couple times a week. I'm sending actual thoughts like, hey, I saw this thing happened out in the world today. It reminded me of why this matters in your brand. I find that stories are a great way to attract my particular kind of client. So if they're not resonating, then I don't want them on my list. So I'm okay with that. Uh, Now, if your lead generation strategy is needing a little bit of work and you're losing a lot more people than you're gaining, that is something that does need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that to me is separate from the occasional unsubscribe care. 
I can't say I love it when people unsubscribe, but when I when they do, I'm like, okay, they recognized that they're not the best fit for what I have to offer. Mm -hmm. And um, having been in business for many years, the types of services that I offer have kind of changed over the years. And so what may have worked for somebody five years ago is not working for them today. And that is just fine. And I also am a firm believer in scrubbing your list or cleaning your list. In fact, just a few days ago, I deleted 250 people off my list because they hadn't been opening my emails Mm -hmm. in the last couple of months. And I'm like, they came probably to get a freebie that I have to offer because I have a variety of different free gifts that I give to people when they subscribe. Then they discovered that maybe what they're hearing or seeing from me is not exactly what they're needing right now. And so they unsubscribed. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's been about a year since I've done a good scrub. So I'm, I'm due, but about, oh, yeah. about a year ago, <laughs> I deleted 500 people off my list. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you've been in business for a while. Your services have shifted here and there. I already told you, I moved from primarily brand photos with some brand strategies yes. to primarily strategy with some photos. So the kind of people who are on my list a few years back are probably not finding the value that they'd hoped for. And if they set up a filter to file me away, or if they're using you know, one of the you know mass unsubscribe services that don't actually unsubscribe, they just archive your message. I, I don't want them on my list and that's okay. This brand building, this discovering your best client, this learning all of these things, doing business intentionally, it's not necessarily just something, a one-time deal that we're going to do. We're going to put it in place. It's all done. Everything is great. It sounds very much like a process for you. Yes and no. I do think that you can do one deep dive, hard look at your business and define your brand strategy and more or less run with that for the next couple of years. Uh, There are obviously caveats here. If what you're doing is not working, for example, and you'll know it comes in the form of crickets in your inbox, obviously you need to make some adjustments at that point. But uh, if, if you've done the brand strategy work, the foundational work, including a little bit of the research that we were talking about and doing a really great job defining your audience, you can more or less go with that. Now, the brand application is like, phase two of your brand strategy. So the way I define these are your your brand is your reputation in the marketplace. Your brand strategy is you choosing how you're going to shape that reputation. And then your brand visibility and awareness come from you actually applying that, usually in the form of some kind of marketing. I have what I call the brandscaping process. It is six questions. It's Who are you? Who are they? That's the best client we've been talking about. And how do you serve them? And to me, that's your foundation. And then there's the three application questions, which are, what are you going to say? Where are you going to say it? And how are you going to show it visually? Mm -hmm. Those are how you apply your brand strategy. And that's the part that's never really done. You know, there's, there's a lot of methods that you can put into place to systematize as much of this as possible, but it does require constant input and adjustments from you because all of marketing is, of course, a test. I feel inspired. As a fellow brand strategist, (laughs) I feel inspired by what you just said. That's great information. Thank you so much, Brittany. If we would like to find out more about you, listen to your podcast, find out more about the types of services that you have to offer, where would we go? My website is the best place. It's brittanygardner.com. And I'm sure you'll have a link in the show notes for that. Yes, I will. So my website uh, does have my podcast on it, but the No Like and Trust Show is also available on any of your favorite podcasts playing apps. And you can find out more information about any of my programs or services on my website as well. 
I do have one specifically designed to help you answer those six questions. It is called Great. intentional business as you might oh, imagine. Oh, who would have guessed? So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, nice and easy. Well, thank you so much, Brittany, for being a guest with us today. Thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed our discussion. I know we said it earlier, but I truly believe that we can all learn from each other, even if we have the same job title. So I really enjoyed this discussion as well. And thank you listeners for joining Brittany and me today for the Professional Writer Podcast. As we said earlier, you can find more information about Brittany. I'll leave a link to her website and her podcast in the show notes over at bloggingbistro.com. So head over there, look at the show notes, and you can also join our private Facebook community for the podcast, which is called the Professional Writer Podcast Community on Facebook. We'll give it a really creative name, I'll make it easy for people to find. As with Brittany's podcast, Podcast, the Know, Like, and Trust podcast. You can also find the Professional Writer podcast on any of the popular apps such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. You just open up the app and key in the professional writer. And there you go. And that's how I subscribe to your podcast, Brittany. I listen on Stitcher to podcasts. And I opened up Stitcher and typed in the no like and trust show. It is. Yeah. Correct? The no like and trust yeah, with show. The, at the beginning, it the is. no like and trust show with Brittany Gardner. So thanks again, Brittany. And thanks for joining us today. And I will be back with you again next week. Same time, same place.